From Metro Edge, this is Edge of Greatness, a show for cutting-edge professionals and thinkers alike about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and game changers on their journey to personal and professional success. Welcome to the Edge of Greatness podcast. I'm your host, Josh Albert. And I'm your host, Sarah England. And today's guest, Brian Washington, a.k.a. Abs. He's the owner and founder of the Academy, a strength and conditioning facility, and one of Sacramento's most popular gyms. By far our most shredded guest, the Academy is celebrating their eighth anniversary this year. One of Sacramento's underrepresented Black business owners, Brian is as focused on fitness and health as he is on fashion and music, which you'll notice spills into his businesses. Meet the guy whose goal is to help others achieve their goal. Welcome, Brian. Hello. Thank you. How are you? Awesome, man. Great to have you. So I just wanted to start off like abs, like that's your nickname. Did someone give that to you? How did you get that name? So it is, um, it's an interesting story, I guess I would say. It's, it started when I was about in the um, eighth or ninth grade, and it has kind of a, uh, I guess, a lineage um, linkage in some ways. So when I was in the eighth, eighth grade, um, I was hanging out with these two kids, and we had like a rap group. And um, when we got into high school, um, there was the local DJ who was DJ uh, Billy the Doll. He was like the, the biggest DJ at the time um, in the Bay Area. He was like the number one DJ on the radio. He also happened to be like my coach in high school and lived in my neighborhood. Well, his best friend and roommate was this guy, um, Cornelius, who uh, was a bouncer and like a producer. So he kind of saw me and my friends rapping at a school function and he's like, yo, you guys should be um, in this group that I'm working on. And he gives us a name and the name of the group was the abstracts. And each one of us was like abstract one, two, and three. Well, I was kind of like the first kid that he saw. So um, my name became kind of abs one. And I, you know, I was writing on walls. I was doing like just the most kind of young hip hop stuff ever. So um, the name essentially came from that. Well, my grandfather also was a an AME, an African Methodist um, Episcopal preacher. He is named after the man that started that church. His name is Richard Allen. Um, his right hand man was named Absalom Jones. So oh my, my wow. yeah, it turned into like this just really strange kind of um, like I guess turn of events with this name. So that has been something that people have called me since I was like in the ninth grade. And the strange thing about it, the thing that sucks the most is that people think I'm like this vain dude because I'm in the fitness who's like, I'm going around calling myself abs and it's not that. <laughs> so that part kind of sucks, but also, you know, there's a, a bit of pressure when you have a nickname like abs, if you're walking around and you're not quite in shape. So, you know, it does keep you on your toes. And what's your Instagram handle? It's like abs one to this day, right? It's, it's the abs wonder. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. That's really, really cool. Gosh. So grandpa was a, so, so dad was a, you said grandpa was an AME Methodist preacher. My grandfather was. Yes. Yeah. Holy shit. Cool. Um, give us like some background. Like how, how would you describe the Academy to a stranger? Like as being different from other gyms, perhaps. Um, I would say that what makes us different from other spaces is that we are a community within a community. Um, our mantra within the space is to build champions through strength and conditioning um, and sport. So 
whether you want to be better at whatever sport it is you play, we're here to champion you in that. If your goal is just to, hey, I am trying to just be stronger to get through whatever um, obstacles life throws me, then we're here for you in that regard as well. And then I think where we become a community within a community is a lot of gyms that uh, I've been to prior to the one that I'm at now were either um, incredibly clicky or uh, people, you know, at a big, big box gym, you would either have someone that you would go there with already so you know someone, you're familiar when you walk into the place. But if you happen to walk in there alone, there's no way you're going in there without a pair of earphones because you don't want to talk to anybody. And the goal is just to, you know, to just leave me alone. It's like wearing blinders as a horse. And in some ways, I get that because you want this time to focus on yourself. But in other ways, what that would do is it created this space where when I would be out, um, I would see people that I recognized from my gym. And there was really... Um, no um, type of feel to speak to that person or any type of like, um, I, I wouldn't call it pressure, but there just wasn't a chemistry there because it didn't feel like you had built that because, you know, at the gym, I'm focused on not trying to talk to anyone at all. And I think this is probably more, especially for women, because guys can be annoying as hell in those spaces <laughs> at gyms. So when women come out of those spaces, it's really, yo, leave me alone, whether these earphones work or not, like, don't talk to me. So like that type of atmosphere, I felt like in some ways didn't create a supporting space for the members. So if I come in and I don't really feel like going through this and I'm there by myself and there's no one that recognizes that I come there on a regular basis and they don't see that I'm really not into it, I'm going to walk out the door and that's the end of my workout. And I got nothing out of this, but the waste of gas and energy. But if I'm at a space that's like mine, um, you come in there and maybe you don't feel like doing this today. Well, one of the coaches or someone who comes in there on a regular basis, who sees you um, every day that you come in there or the days that you work out with that person, um, maybe someone that you've never even really talked to um, at the gym that much, but because that person sees you in the same classes they take all the time, they have a vested interest in you succeeding that day. So I think, and the vested interest is that it makes people feel good to actually be nice to people. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that that's something that we take advantage of. And it doesn't mean that you get like something out of it. You're not going to get a star. Um, maybe no one pats you on the back because no one else sees it. But that person that you encouraged at that moment to push through when they didn't really feel like coming there, that person appreciates it. And now you've created a chemistry. So when I'm not, in the gym and I see you at farmer's market, hey, yo, that's the person from the gym that I recognize such and such. Hey, this is my wife. This is my daughter. This is my husband. This is my partner. This is whoever. And now we've created, you know, a community within the community. Now people are starting to support each other. So I think that's what makes our place different from other places. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. It's, it sounds like it's so much bigger than a gym and we'll definitely dive into a little bit more of that too. Um, I am curious though, why and how did you start the Academy? I was working at another gym. I, I, you know, I'd worked at the big corporate box spaces. Um, and before then I was working in marketing, um, and I left that to do something that could keep me closer to, to home. So, um, I had always had an interest in fitness. My father was, was insanely, um, motivated to, to work out and stay in shape. Um, so because of his 
dedication to fitness, um, it, you know, just kind of, I guess, rubbed off on me in some ways. So um, I was working at a gym and two things happened. Um, one, I have become kind of like the lead trainer, uh, kind of by proxy in this space. So the owner of the space recognized that and started to give me a little more responsibility in the place. Um, so I thought, hey, you know what would be a great idea is why don't I do this? I have a bunch of clients that are my own clients that pay me a specific amount. I pay you rent. Why don't we just do this? Why don't I give you all the people that pay me money um, and then you pay me a salary and I can be the manager of your gym and that'll give, that'll free you up to be able to do more space. And the idea behind that for me was that, you know, exactly that. It would just give me a little more responsibility and it would free her up some space. And who knows, maybe at some point in time, it looked like she was kind of like one foot out of the door. To me, it looked like an opportunity for me able to have some ownership in the long run. That's so, sweet. yeah. So this, we sat down, we talked about this, we, we, uh, we shook on it. And then the next day, I just had this weird feeling about like how our meeting ended. So I thought, you know what I should do? I should write up a contract about what we talked about. We can, if she likes it, she likes it. If not, we can have someone who's professional at writing up a contract, write a contract up for us. Well, um, she comes back the next day and she's like, hey, you know, I know we agreed on an amount and we shook on it, but I can't pay you that amount, but I can pay you half. Will you still do the job? So <laughs> right then and there, again, in my mind, I was already thinking ownership and I saw that she had one foot out of the door. So I said, yeah, you know what? I'll do it. But right at that moment, I'd already made up my mind what I was getting ready to do. I'm going to take every single person in this gym and my own gym. Wow. That, was, that was my mindset. Mm -hmm. So from that moment, I started writing up business plans. I started to check out what other gyms look like in the area. Um, I'd already come from kind of large marketing. Had, um, a friend of mine had hired me to work for her company out of high school. I'm sorry, out of college. And we one of our largest... Um, one of our largest marketing partners at the time was Coca-Cola. So I got a chance to sit in on some really big meetings and learn a lot about how large corporations market. And I thought to myself, okay, well, if large corporations are marketing like this, why shouldn't I just run my small gym like these large corporations run in this aspect? But everything else should be on a much more personal aspect. I want the trainers to know each other. I want my uh, clientele to know each other. I, again, want to create this community within the community. So uh, for the next year and a half to, to two years, I just worked on trying to open a gym. And in that time, my oldest daughter was born. So that really solidified, okay, I have to do this. Because mm -hmm. if I am going to be the parent that I would like to be, uh, which was the same parent that in some ways my parents were to me, which was super encouraging. Um, I saw them at sometimes take risk. So I knew that it would be okay for me to, to take a risk. I couldn't tell my kids to ever live out their dreams if I wasn't going to try it on my own, if I was too afraid to do it. So those two events essentially led me to opening up the gym. Now, I didn't do this on my own. I was able to partner up with a friend of mine from high school. And then he and I together were able to create, I think, probably one of the better, better atmospheres um, of gyms in the area. Was that always your mission? Like, did it always start with community? Because it seems like, like you've come back to it like two or three times now. And it seems like, was that like your core piece when you were designing the gym? Um, in some ways, I guess this might help you understand why I would be that way. So my mother was a nurse. 
my father worked in law enforcement uh, for about 50 years until he died. So like, that's essentially how I was raised. Like I was just, I was, I was raised. And then again, my grandfather was a preacher. So my entire childhood was seeing the adults around me in my life, like give back to their community in some way. So I really didn't think it was any different from what I'd grown up from. So, Mm -hmm. um, I, I I don't know. And I think that in a lot of ways, um, I'm far more, um, aware of that than I was when I was younger. So because of that, I try to bring my kids with me whenever I do something that involves us working within the community so they can understand that like, this is something that you should be doing. It's incumbent upon us to make our communities better. Yeah. That's yeah. It's so cool. Cause like, like I'm curious, like, was it, was it like, was it pretty successful right away? Or did you, did you notice like when you were, let's say like community was natural, but like, did you notice some challenges at the very beginning, there, there were a lot of challenges. So, <laughs> here, there were a couple of things that made us successful. What made us successful, I think, right away, uh, it, in some aspects. Let Let me start in this way. What made us somewhat successful right away was that, uh, like I said before, my goal was to walk out of there with as many people as I could. I took like the day I left, I probably took about twenty five to thirty percent of their clientele. <laughs> By the following month, I had. of their clientele within a six month period. I had probably 70% of their clientele in a, and then they, you know, they gained some more members, but this was 70% of the clientele who used to come to my class every single day and knew that I would be there at five o'clock and at six o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So that group had become super loyal and, you know, they knew that I would be there. And so that was one thing that helped us. Um, Another thing that helped us early on was our proximity. We just happened to be in my neighborhood. So I knew that neighborhood incredibly well. I knew um, a lot of the people who lived in that neighborhood. I lived just a few blocks away from where the gym was um, years before we opened it. And then as we opened, I moved to another home that wasn't far from there. So I hadn't, I'd never left this community and I knew it pretty well. So those two things helped. The hard thing was the sacrifice over that two year period. My youngest daughter, I missed the first two years of her life, essentially. I mean, I was there to see her celebrate her first birthday, her second birthday, I was there for her birth, all those things. But I think what I mean by that is that I was so focused on trying to make sure that, like, I didn't fail at this, that I'm sorry that I keep having alerts come up. Excuse me. Um, I was so focused on trying to to um, to have this work and not fail that. I was teaching the uh, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 12, 5, and 6 p.m. class um, Monday through Friday. And then I was teaching on Saturdays. And I was also training my clients. So I'm putting, I'm investing like, oh man, like probably 60 hours, 70 hours of my, of a week into this gym. And then there's things like I just can't do. I can't go with you guys on, this trip for the weekend because there's no one else that can teach this class. And a lot of that is because we didn't have money to, to, to pay anyone to teach it. So I got to be the one that teaches the class. So I missed out on vacations. You know, there was just all these things that like, that I could not do, but that's like the sacrifice in order to be able to do those things later. So um, that was the hardest thing I think for me. And then like, you know, kind of like the, the financial hit that I took initially from putting 
so much of what I had into it. And then knowing that I wasn't going to be receiving the paycheck that I had been receiving before. So everything like had to work. So, you know, here we are just finishing up our eighth year and in almost three weeks now, we'll be celebrating our ninth year in the same space. And it's, we've been tremendously lucky that people have got what we've been trying to do. We've been, you know, tremendously fortunate that um, our people have supported us even through the time that we were closed because of COVID mm-hmm. and that we've also had some really good people come through the door who, who work in the space. So yeah, we've, we've been, we've been very lucky. Uh, I, I would say. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to jump back just a bit about the fatherhood piece. Cause I think, you know, our audience here is, young professionals under 40. And a lot of that is folks who are starting families and they're just making big moves in their careers at the same time that families are starting. And I'm curious, knowing what you know now and what you've been through, what kind of advice would you have to people who are new to parenthood, but also deep in entrepreneurship or deep in a big promotion? Um, What advice do you have on balancing those two things? Because it sounds like you are an incredible father and you are a successful business owner. Well, thank you. Um, I, so I would say there's a couple of things. The the one thing that we always say to ourselves, every single one of us before we become a parent, or as we think that, Hey, I'm kind of ready to become a parent is, am I ready? Am Mm -hmm. I financially ready? Um, Am I, am I mentally ready? No, you're not. (laughs) Okay. But it doesn't matter that you're not because I'll tell you what my brother told me. And years later, I found out that he was just fucking blabbering. Excuse my language. Um, so <laughs> he says to me, I, I was, geez, my older brother has a, a son already. And his son at this time was like 12 or 13 years old. And I'm getting ready to have a kid. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm legitimately like nervous. Our father's passed away at this time. So I can't ask him, you know, yo, what's it like to be a dad? What can I experience? So my brother is really the only person I have to lean on as like someone that I like truly trust. So I call him up and I, I say to him, I'm like, hey, um, yo, we're about to have a kid. I'm super nervous about this. Like, what advice would you give me for having a kid? And he's like, um, do you smoke crack? And I'm all, what? <laughs> I'm all, no. He goes, okay, well then you're gonna be fine. <laughs> uh, he's like, dude, crackheads have kids all the time. Some of those babies turn out to be great people. You guys aren't crackheads. And he hung up on me. Oh my and gosh. So, and like, I, I'm not, I'm not lying to you when I tell you for at least three days, I didn't call him back, but I internalized that. And I'm like, what is he trying to tell me? And like, I've had so many different things that were going on. And finally just built like, dude, you're not a crackhead. You're going to be fine. You're not worried. You, you know, you have a job. You are, you're, are, you're trying to move on in your career. You're trying to be successful. Yes. All of those. But you know what? So many people have done this at the same time. You're not the only person going through this, right? So no, you're not ready, but yes, you're ready. That's the advice that I would give to you as far as being a parent. I think that what these the zeal and the, um, the energy that you attack your profession with, if your goal is to become um, a CEO, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're the boss, if, you, if you're management, like whatever your goal is, um, like that energy that you put into work, if you're putting a lot of energy into that, you got to put more into that in being a parent. Mm-hmm. And there is no, there's ne- it's never going to balance. Like one's always going to be more than the other. The parenting, even though you may feel like work is going to be heavier, 
Parent is always going to outweigh whatever work is. Work's going to be stressful. Work's going to take you away from your children at times, but it's never going to be more than what parenting is. It's never going to, if your company happens to uh, fall apart for some reason, you can find another job. Mm-hmm. Your children are essentially your heart outside of your body. Something happens to them. There's no way to replace that. So like, there's never a balance. So when, when I, when I think about how I balance work with, with being a father, it's like, I'm a father. I just happen to have a job. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good to hear that. And thank you. I know that was a little tangential to the conversation around business, but you know, like you just said, you're, you're a father and you have a job. So thank you. But it's important for people to know that though, because I think that it's easy. I'm sorry, sorry to me to cut you off, but it's, you know, it's very easy for us to become discouraged in ourselves and like, because the first thing you think about, especially when when you know your partner is um, is expecting, mm-hmm. you start to think, what kind of what kind of parent am I going to be? You're going to change as a person, no matter what you think about yourself. Now you are absolutely going to change as a person the minute that baby's born. Mm-hmm. The person you used to be is gone. That person's done. You are a new person <laughs> now, and from that point on, it's really like about. How do I live my life the best way I can to give this person the best opportunity that they have in life? That's all that matters. And the decisions I make at work is based on that. You know, in the back of my mind, I know every time I do something at work, should I not take this client? Okay, if I don't take this client, what does that give me? That gives me another couple of hours a week to myself. But what it also does, it makes it far more difficult for me to be able to pay for some of the things that I know my kids need. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to take another client. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much boils. I mean, those are, those are some of the decisions that we have to make it work. That's, and that's just what, when you add family to it, it's, it's just a, you're, you're a different person and everything becomes different. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. That's real. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I mean, the way you put that, it was really cool, man. I, I'm digging it. It's cool. I mean, I, I don't know what I'm going to be like, but you know, I'm sure there'll be a transition for sure. You're going to be fine. You're going to be absolutely fine. You're not smoking like you don't crack, smoke. are you? I was going to say, Josh, did you smoke crack? As long as you don't smoke <laughs> crack, you're good. <laughs> um, what was um, what was All City Riders? And what what lessons can we take away from that that experience? Um, All City Riders was, to me, a, 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 a lot of things. Um, business-wise, it was a learning experience. Um Personally, it was a learning experience. Like, so, you know, this goes back to what we talked about earlier, work, work and, and like life balance. Right. So at that time I have a gym that's going pretty well. I decided to open up this other gym, this other studio. When we do that, this is now taking away more time from my family because now I'm back to square one, the way I was with the gym. Now I, I'm, it's, everything's on me again. Um, so when and what I mean by everything's on me is as far as like the, the pressure of the classes. These are things I'm the pressure I'm putting on myself. It's not so much like it's all on me because I know that I have help, but this is kind of the, the internal pressure that, that I put on myself. Um, we in the end didn't succeed to the point. I thought that we would be a scalable business that could be um, that could be an international success. I I still believe that that is there, but the world has changed like so much, right? So, you know, All City Riders was for us, I think, a um, a confirmation that the idea to open up a studio 
that involved augmented reality that took people to different places as they rode while they were still in the same city. That was ahead of its time. And it was exactly what was going to happen with the world, except we didn't know that. Right. So here we are now doing a, a podcast interview through Zoom. Zoom exploded over the last three years because of what happened here. So where I think that we were ahead of, um, I think the game and also getting confirmation that what we were doing was something that was coming and that we were just, we were all, we maybe were just a little early is that augmented reality. Everything now is metaverse, right? Um, NFTs, uh, people are living in, in quote unquote, living in metaverse. People are metaverse real estate agents. What is that? <laughs> right. I mean, not, I'm not angry that you're able to, to make money somehow, but you're a, a met. I was offered, I'm not lying to you. I'm actually, this is still something that's going on. I've been talking with a group from Los Angeles about building a metaverse gym. They've talked to me like a number of times about doing <laughs> this. They have this metaverse that they've already started. They've sent me um, all of their like metaverse um, uh, like build outs and like a virtual look at what my space would be like. So I'm to, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I don't understand why this is anything that anyone would do. But <laughs> in my head, I'm also thinking, yo, this is 100% confirmation that we were on the right page. We weren't putting some, we weren't actually taking you VR into a space, but we were, we were on that concept. We had an eight foot high by 20 foot wide video wall that took 20 plus riders on trips throughout not only the United States, you know, of course the world, but also we have these like crazy galaxy space rods. So where we are now with some of the things in life because of the pandemic, um, although the pandemic, it's, it's interesting, the pandemic shut us down, but it also gave us confirmation that we were on the right track to something. So yeah. it's so strange. Um, and then the other thing was, well, I think we talked about this uh, before Josh was QR codes. QR codes are everywhere now. One of the things that we did was we wanted to become a company that was you know, not only environmentally friendly, but also we were trying to take people in a place that we Tesla's trying to take you. You don't have to have a wallet all the time, mm. right? Why am I going to... This is kind of um, a, an outside view of how we got to here, but uh, I gave a guy a business card one time. When I gave this guy my business card, he didn't ask me for my card, keep in mind. So <laughs> I gave this guy my card which I spent a lot of money on these cars. I wanted to have these really cool cars. And when you would look at it, you'd say, you know what? I'm going to call this guy, right? So I spent a ton of money on these cars. And I watched this guy moments after I give it to him, throw him in the garbage can. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, what was the point of that? Like, not so much him asking for my business card, but I get why he threw it away. What am I going to fucking do with this? Like, he asked for it, but excuse me, I'm so sorry. Like, I get why he asked for it, right? What? Like, yeah, let me have your card. It's kind of things that we just say to people. Or yeah. how do I connect with you, right? So he asked for it. He got it. But then from there, what's he going to do with it? Is he going to sit there and put my phone number in his phone right there and then forget that I'm in his contact? And then for some reason, Brian Washington comes up on his phone. Like, Who the hell is this guy? <laughs> right? So what that, what that moment taught me, and this was like 10 years before the gym opened. I was like, I'm not buying, I'm not spending money on business cards anymore. This is stupid. So I moved into QR codes because a friend of mine had just gone to Japan. And he was like, hey, they're doing this crazy thing in Japan. They're using these QR codes. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to find QR codes. So I've researched QR codes and I started using QR codes. Mm -hmm. So then I put a QR code image in my phone. And for the last 
I don't know, seven or eight years or so when anyone asked for my number is or my card, I don't have my business card, I say, open your phone up. And they would open up their phone. And this is before everyone knew that the iPhone had QRs like directly in, embedded into your camera. Um, I would say, pull up your phone. They pull up their phone and then they would go to my QR code and now my phone's directly in your contacts. Now you can contact me. Now I didn't give you a piece of paper or not wasting anything. So that was the thought behind all CD riders in some ways. Instead of having people re-up for a new class by having to pull their credit card out every time they come in, just hit that QR code right there and your phone is going to do Apple Pay, direct you right to our website and you can buy it. Or if you want to know what the class schedule is, hit this QR code right here. If you want to share what we do here, send the QR code to someone else. Wow. Like, so And the first few months we did that, people were like, oh, I don't know how to do this. How do I do this? We you know, walk through <laughs> the steps with their phone. But now if you think about it, if you sit down in a restaurant, no one is waiting for the menu to come to the table. You're looking for the QR code on the table. Mm-hmm. So the again, like two things happened to us that also gave us confirmation. Like we learned all of this stuff about our business that we were on the right track, but COVID just didn't allow that to continue. And seeing as how the world is moving now, like, yeah, we're comfortable going back into arenas and some spaces, but I'm not sure myself or that anyone else would be comfortable sitting in a room knowing all the stuff that we know now, hunched up together, Mm -hmm. right? Riding bikes, sweating and breathing on each other for an hour. Like, I feel like we're not doing that anymore. I just, so we had to figure out another way to do it. So that kind of ended that. And maybe we can do it again in a couple of years when people feel a little more comfortable going into spaces, but you know, the numbers for Soul Cycle and all these other spaces haven't come back up. Yeah. No, we did. We so, interviewed the Team Ride Girls. And so they, you know, they kind of shared similar stuff and they just said, yeah, it's been super tough. But it also sounds like what you're saying is, is like you had really awesome ideas, but you were just really early to the party. That was it. We figured out we were early to market. And I think, but also learn this. I learned that I could take two things that I was really good at and put them together and merge them and make something completely different with this. And that's essentially where I am now with it. So, Yeah. yeah. But you, I, one of the other things, too, is that I think sometimes that people don't understand that failure, failure in a way can be underrated in some ways. Oh, yeah, and, no doubt. Yeah. And knowing when to, I wouldn't say quit or even give up, but like knowing when to move on because quitting and, and giving up sound like, um, you know, they're negative words and they bring on negative connotation. What? I would say it's just knowing when to move on. And for us, we could have fought and tried to stay in the space that we were in. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, why, why would we do this? Why? Because when I look at the workforce in, in downtown, so most of downtown, as you guys see, hasn't come back, hasn't come back quite the way that we expected to, although they're building houses, like there's millions of people coming out of nowhere. (laughs) Um, They're the state is not bringing back the majority of its workforce. People are working from home. That's yeah, that's true. where we are now, right? And even most of our federal workers are only here seasonally. So all of the things that for us made us a viable business in the space that we were in, um, the foot traffic, the idea that that was a growing area, that we were coming into a space that was, was new, all of that was um, incredibly... Um, attractive to us and we thought that it would have been we thought we were gonna made it there for sure however when we got to a point where we were like 
two or three months into this pandemic, I'm looking at this and I'm like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. We're going to pay rent for another six months to be what? Excuse me. Fortunately, we didn't do that because what I learned with the gym was that we're going to be shut down another three months later. Yeah. Right. So let's, so we, I've, we made the exact right decision. It was, a, it was hard. It was hard to learn. For me, the toughest thing was that I was so proud of this because I felt like it was something that I had, I, that was in my brain. And I was able to take something that was like, that was in my brain that no one else had thought of and bring it to fruition. And I was incredibly proud of that. Um, but the part that sucked was that, hey, we're not here anymore. And when I hear people, it's some, it's, I, I'm not gonna lie, man, it hurts sometimes. When I hear people say, man, I really wish you guys were there still. I wish I could be here. I never got a chance to try that place. I'm like, ah, why didn't you come here when we were open? I know. You know, but, um, but also at the same time, it, it, as painful as it may be, it should make me feel good in some ways because we did, we did what we were supposed to do, man. People, people know about us. People heard about us. We built a brand. The brand wasn't successful in the end, but um, I learned so much in that failure. So much I learned. So that the lessons I learned in that failure are absolutely invaluable and I will carry with, carry them with me through everything I do in business. Dude, I love the mindset shift there. That's unreal. Like the, the takeaway there is just really, really sick. It is. And, and, Brian, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. I, we're getting close-ish to time, and there's some important things we want to talk about while we have you here. And one of those is that we read the SAC Business Journal article that talked about the discrimination that you experienced while applying for the Paycheck Protection Loan and just the general frustration among the Black community of business owners and experience trying to get funds um, in, in such an unfair system. And we kind of want to hear your perspective on that experience and, you know, things you learned along the way, things that are important for people to hear um, throughout that experience. I mean, I just learned that the only, I'm, so as positive as a person, as I try to be, there are things that I'm super aware of that I know I have no way of changing and they are the way that they are. And they're supposed to work the way they're designed to work. And like our banking system is designed to work the way it works, which is to not give minorities, um, whether that be women, people of color, um, the the same type of funding that we're willing to give other communities. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just like it, it was just heartening to know that in a time where every single person is has their hand out, it seemed as though we seemed like we were begging more than anyone else. And like there were extra checks and balances sometimes and, you know, a non-belief that we were doing what we should be doing with, with the money. Now that wasn't always my experience, but I had friends who experienced that. And, um, you know, it's just, it's what you come to expect. I tried to get an SBA loan for my gym when I originally opened. I quickly learned through, after going through SBA courses, after doing every single thing they asked me to do, that I was going to get a loan and this was a waste of my time. And all I was doing was putting into like a fund for someone else to get this money. That's really all I was doing. Yeah. So once I figured that out, I was like, well, why am I doing this? Why am I going to owe, why should I owe a, a bank that really is never going to support me? Why should I owe them money? I should just owe a person money. Like I can pro I know enough people who have been successful in business that I can say, Hey, um, would you mind giving me a private loan? 
and that's essentially what we did. We went and I, I, I was able to hustle up money to open up the academy through private funding um, that we paid back and through selling like year subscriptions of workouts to people. I'm going to give you like, this is how much I charge you to train with me a month. How about I charge you X amount of dollars to train me for the year? You just pay me right now. Yeah. Yep. So Wait, how long did it take you, Brian? Um, for the academy? Yeah. Oh, it took me about six to eight months. Oh shit. You're like, yeah, it took that's me unreal. No, we, I, I was, I was motivated. It took me six to eight months to get the funding. We were absolutely motivated. I'm like, we're getting this money. We have to, we need well, I meant, Oh, sorry, I went, to, I went to pay it back. How long did it take oh, to, pay, to it pay it back? Oh, it yeah. took us like, we paid it back within like a year, two years. So I think I, I lost my, the earbuds. You're good. You're good. Oh, okay. Um, so we were able to pay, we were able to pay everything that we got back within like a, a period. And then the other thing that helped us out, aside from having those private loans out, we were fortunate enough to never operate in the red throughout that entire time. Wow. So we were able to operate in the black and, and fortunate, like fingers crossed, even through the pandemic, we were fortunate enough to be a company for the last eight years. It is we haven't had one month where we've operated in the red. Unreal. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. And that, I mean, I give my business partner credit for that. He does great work on that end, keeping us up to date, but you know, also that is, it's, it's what we have put into the community. People are willing to support us. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, when it comes to supporting black businesses, here's one of the things that I would say that we should look at. Mm -hmm. Um, when most of us go to bars or restaurants in town, if you go to bar um, X that is, um, let's just give it a national name, or whatever, without naming some restaurant, no one says, hey, let's go to that like, white bar and go hang out. Or to like the majority of the bars that are in town and midtown, no one says, let's go hang out with the white bars. Mm -hmm. But if I were to be with some of my friends and I was like, hey, let's go hang out at this bar where we know there's a lot of black people there, someone is going to say, oh, the black bar. And that's what happens with support for black businesses in our community. People look at black businesses as black businesses, like they're only for black people. They're not. They're yep. in your community. And that we're the only group of people that have to deal with that. Like no one's saying don't go to the Mexican restaurant because that's only for Mexicans. You grew up in California, you know full and well you're welcome to go to a Mexican restaurant. You're oh, going yeah. to a Mexican restaurant, right? <laughs> but for some reason, when it comes to black or brown businesses that are not hospitality or restaurant, um, uh, I guess restaurant affiliated, then what we deal with is that that's a, that's a black establishment and it's only for black people. No, it's not. Black, black people are going to support it. No one said, you know, again, when we go back to when you go to an establishment where the majority might be white people. The white people there aren't thinking, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go support the white business. They're like, yo, I'm going somewhere to eat. Maybe some <laughs> people are thinking that, but I think the majority of people are like, yo, I'm going here just to eat. Right. Yeah. But once people find out that like a black person owns it or a Latino woman owns this, um, this nail shop or this clothing store. Now it's like, for some reason that changes. And it doesn't mean that you, sh that you can't come here because that person owns it. In fact, you should come you should absolutely be coming there to support that place more yep. because this person has had a harder time than, than not to say that other business owners aren't struggling because I know that 
business owners are business owners. Everybody's struggling to, to oh, be a no. business owner. I do know, though, like from my perspective and from other black business owners and uh, brown business owners, that there's something just a little different about what it's like for us to own our businesses. So being a business owner and knowing what the stress of that is and knowing how hard it is to get people to come into your business and then to continue to support you after that, like it would, it, it would help if people didn't look at a business as a black business. Right. So it's important for us to say that that's what we are, but it's not, it's not incumbent upon people to feel as though they can't come because they're not that race to a place. Like right. everyone is welcome to businesses. I would hope, you know, if, if you open your doors, whoever walks in the door, please patronize this place. We, we thank you for coming in. Can yeah. we get a can we get a shout out on a couple of your favorite spots that we should be checking out? Um, yeah, man, there is Tiger because the the guys at Tiger are doing an incredible job with not only their like nightlife but their food. The food is incredible. Chef Byron Hughes is probably one of the better chefs in not our area, but like the state. This no dude doubt. is dope. He does yeah. he does some really really crazy stuff. So um, yeah, the Last Supper Society. Uh, I just absolutely love those guys. Um, 916 Tacos, that's my guy. He and his father used to be, used to have a, um, a taco space together. Um, and he's kind of branched out to do his own thing now. Um, wow, where else is there? There is, um, there's Drip. Oh, that's yeah, on 20. Yeah, the coffee yeah, shop. Drip on, is uh, awesome. Yes. On J Street. Um, that's on 20, yeah, 25th and J, 24th and J. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there, there are a lot of really, great businesses in downtown that are owned um, by, by black and brown people that are just, they're waiting for people to come into the doors. You know, we're not just standing there with our thumbs. There's other people coming in, but we, we want more people to come in. We want the entire neighborhood to know that you're welcome to come in here. Yeah, no. And, and your message earlier was powerful. So thank you for touching on all of that. I, um, I want to ask one more question. Then we'll probably wrap up here, but I, I got a million yeah. more questions, but my, my biggest question is like, what are you working on next? Um, you know, Brian, like, uh, you know, where can we see you in your next project? So, man, a couple of things. I am, a, I was, I'm fortunate to be able to go back into my original passion, which is, was music. Um, so along with um, some business ventures we have, music has been insane for me. I'm, I'm DJing at a couple of different bars and restaurants on a weekly basis so that that's been fun to get back into so that. i saw now you at rochambeau i think i'm like a, did i see you on like a thursday when did i on see a friday you yeah on i'm friday, at rochambeau yeah. on fridays i play darling aviary um on sundays on the rooftop um i play butterscotch on thursdays coming soon i play the tin tin room on sundays i play tigers on first fridays um yeah i'm i am i'm wherever people are listening to music i'm generally playing um and then i am working on a new project with a couple of business partners uh we are going to disrupt the the nail salon world um and open up a luxury nail salon that caters to everyone so um the majority of nail salons in our area and in general 95 percent of them cater to women which is quite all right because women deserve to be catered to um <laughs> The the thing that I've noticed about some of these places is that men seem to be uncomfortable when they go in there. Not every man is as comfortable um, with themselves as some of us may be where we will wear pink butterfly earrings and pink <laughs> necklaces. Um, so 
when you go into a space, sometimes there's a little bit of unfamiliarity with the area. And then also like, uh, what am I getting myself into? I want to get my nails done. I don't know exactly what to ask for. So um, our goal is to create a space that welcomes everyone, whether you are a guy's guy, a gal's gal, whether you, whatever you are, he, she, they, them, whatever it is, whatever pronoun fits you, however it is that makes you feel comfortable, walk into this space and you know the people in there are there to make sure that you have a good time in, in the time that you're there. That's super fucking exciting. I love yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this because my and my daughters are just driving me nuts about it because they're like, oh, can you get the nail salon over so we get our nails done? I'm like, I don't know if you think your nails are going to be getting done for free because you still got to pay for like, the, the, the nail deal. Like, I'm going to get you guys a hookup, but you got to pay still. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this because I, there's nothing like what we're going to be bringing to people. And I think that we have a track record um, of bringing like cool, unique, um, and um, just kind of clever ideas to Sacramento. So here is something else that now I was, I was really um, excited about all city riders and um, super confident that this will be something that we could really scale. I'm more confident about this than I was about all city riders. And I know someone would say, well, that failed. How could you be that confident? How could I not? Like, why would I not think that we would be able to do this better than we did the last thing? I already know what it's like to fail. So I know what I shouldn't do. So this time around, yeah, here's, here's what we're going to do. I love that. Dude, that's epic, bro. That's sick. Um, yeah, can't wait. And uh, Sarah, take us into rapid fire. All right, Brian. We have quick questions here at the end. Okay. First thing that pops into your head. Um, you already covered a little bit of what I think you might answer for the first one, but whatever pops into your head first. Um, favorite restaurant in Sacramento? Oh, man. Why did you do this to me? <laughs> okay. I have to say this for... Um, for sentimental reasons, and it's it's got to be Aoli Bodega on 18th and L. I've had like oh, yeah. birthdays. I've, I've I love Drega. Um, I then that place. I oh god, okay, I'm gonna age myself here. But in the time that I've lived in Sacramento, in the 20s some years I've lived downtown, we have celebrated so many anniversaries, birthdays. Um, just hey, let's go have dinner at that place. So. Aoli. Aoli's my number one place. Oh, I'm I sorry. Oh, man. I'm looking killed by so many people. <laughs> no, I love that. That's actually the first place that my partner and I went on our first date. So it is such oh. me too. Um, your favorite book, author, podcast, or publication? Oh, man. I can give you all those. Oh, man. Um, my favorite author would be James Baldwin. Um Man, my favorite book. Oof. That's a hard one. My favorite book is From Slavery to Freedom by John Hope Franklin. It was one of the first books I read um, that was very in-depth about Black culture. So, yeah, From Slavery to Freedom by John Hope Franklin. I love that. Um, okay, favorite place to clear your head. Ooh, oh man. Oh God. Can it be a tie? Because <laughs> it's in yeah. my house. It's a tie. It's two places in my house. And I know which one my kids would say. So <laughs> the front porch is probably my favorite place oh, yeah. to clear my head. I love my front porch. I get a view of my entire neighborhood. 
I just got to chill out there and I got a nice little setup. However, my backyard now, <laughs> I just put a little patch of turf in my backyard and it's like, it's in a perfect little spot. And my wife and kids were making fun of me when I first rolled it out. That's not, that's not a lot of grass. Okay, whatever. When I'm sitting out here in my lawn chair and I'm chilling and now everybody wants to come sit next to me in it. So, <laughs> man, I that you you got me there. Um, oh, man. Front, front, I'm, can I just say my house? Because yeah. my front porch, the front porch and back porch are like my, my – they're my two favorite spots right now. I so, my house. My I house is my that. favorite place to clear my head. That's a great answer, actually. Um, it means you've got a good home, too. Um, last question, and we just added this one for you. How much time do you spend working out? Oh, dang. <laughs> a day or a week? Um, in a week. So I work out six days a week, um, twice a day, most days, um, from 4 a.m. until about 6 a.m. I'm working out with one client. So that's two hours. Um, Every single day, with the exception of Friday, I come home and I ride the bike after I work out with him. So I do another hour on um, Monday, Monday through Thursday, I do another hour. Saturday, I do an hour and a half. Sunday's the only day I don't do a thing. Like, I don't even leave my house on Sundays unless we have to. So, man. Oh. Yeah. I, I would say I probably work out like like 20 or 30 hours a week. Wait, that's that's Ryan Royster that you crush those workouts with every day, isn't it? He comes in with me. Yeah, Ryan's with me Monday. No, no, no. So Ryan Ryan trains with me in my small group training class. Oh, God. My it. client that I have in the morning is my client, my friend, and also my nemesis, Tyler. So he and I train every morning. There's no person who is more equally supportive and um, disbelieving of me than him <laughs> that's the, per that's love the best the person death. to have close to you because he can oh, critic and you're but also a supporter i don't know which one i want to say he's even but i don't know it could be 60 40 it really <laughs> could be 60 40 oh, Dude, this I was so it. fun brian man thanks so much for being here i really appreciate it sarah and josh thank you so much i really appreciate you guys having me thank you yeah well, and see you next time man see you around town thanks yes please come down to rochambeau and hang out again this has been The Edge of Greatness. A huge thank you to Metro Edge. A huge thank you to the UC Davis Graduate School of Management. A huge thank you to Rayleigh's. And a huge thank you to Bob Stobner, our technical producer. We'll see you next time. <laughs>